welcome back to Out of the Box with Christine, the podcast for conscious entrepreneurs, where I, Christine Blasdell, get to bring to you, the conscious entrepreneur, some master teachers in all realms of life, health, wealth, love, prosperity, abundance, and you name it. If it's about making your life better, we're going to be talking about it on the show. Stay tuned. It's going to be a great episode. Welcome back to Out of the Box with Christine, the podcast for conscious entrepreneurs. And today I am super excited because I have the podcast lawyer. Yes, the man himself, Gordon Firemark, who is an entertainment attorney that helps artists, writers, producers, directors, and podcasters achieve their dreams and do it legally and covering your butt in many ways. And I am so happy to have you on. And and Gordon is also a fellow podcaster as well. So welcome to Out of the Box, Gordon. Hi, Christine. Thanks so much for having me. I'm looking forward to talking. Well, not only are you uh, an entertainment attorney and you've helped a lot of people in many aspects of entertainment, but really your your most recent forte, I guess you'd say, and specialty is with podcasts. And I love to find out what... what got you interested in podcasting? What got you interested in also helping people that are podcasters uh, make sure that they are legally covered as well? Well, I think one of these, I just love the sound of my own voice. But you, know, <laughs> you have a fabulous voice. I was just going to say, as a producer, if I just heard you like in the grocery store, I tap you on the shoulder and go, you need to be in radio or podcasting. It's funny you mentioned that. I I had an experience a few years ago. Uh, We had moved to a new community far out in the suburbs from Los Angeles, um, probably about 60, 70 miles from the community where I grew up and went to high school. And I was in a, 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 it was a Barnes and Noble bookstore here in our local community. And this, uh, I was having a conversation with my wife and this woman comes walking up to me and says, I heard you from across the store, Gordon. It's me, Shannon. We went to high school together. Wow, you had that same kind of Hadn't voice seen in her high school. In Twenty-five years, and yeah, I, I had the deep voice. Very as well as soon as I hit puberty. You know? <laughs> so. Well, you can also do voiceovers. You know that. Yes. Or, do you do voiceovers? I have. Yes. Okay. I had a career in radio and television before I went to law school. So, where were um, you? Where were you in radio? What uh, What station or what area? I, it was mainly television. I was a, a line producer and uh, uh, sports. You know, I had a truck and a crew, and I we would voice our own promos and things like that quite a lot of the time. So, um, so that you, was my... so you've been. This is what I like too is that you've been in all different aspects of it. You've also you have a um, a bit of history in theater as well. Yeah, you want to yeah. tell our listeners a little bit about that. You know, my origin story actually goes back to kindergarten. I'm five years old. I'm going to a K through twelve school in. Uh, the Boston area in the suburbs of Boston. And the high school kids were doing their production of Oliver. And they brought us in to see a dress rehearsal. So this kindergarten class sitting in the dress rehearsal, lights go down, the curtains go up. And I had tunnel vision for the next two hours. Just, I was in the moment with that. And I was interested in the, in the tech side of it more than the performance side of it, to be really honest. I mean, I loved the story, but, uh, and, and so I come home raving about this experience to my parents who were theater goers themselves. And they took us as kids, they took my sisters and me to see shows. 
by the time I got to junior high school, we had moved across the country and I was starting to get into some sort of low grade trouble with my, my friends. And uh, for some reason, the principal of the middle school pulls me aside and says, I need you to run the lights and sound for the school variety show. And that was the beginning for me of doing the behind the scenes tech. I became a sound technician primarily in high school. That was my thing. Got a job working professionally at a local theater um, my junior year in high school and did that through high, through high school and into college where I started as a theater major. And then because that was a performance oriented program, I shifted into radio, TV and film production. And that was the beginning of my career and only discovered the interest and aptitude for the law stuff uh, in my senior year in college when a professor sort of pointed it out and I laughed, laughed and thought nothing of it till the Writers Guild went on strike. Mm. And uh, here I was trying to work in television and film. Yeah. There was no work. That's when I said, okay, maybe I will try that law school thing. And here we are. Here we are. <laughs> and here we are. And yeah. and you, the breadth of work that you do when you're rep, when you're representing uh, clients is is quite vast. I know we're going to be focusing in uh, on a, a particular favorite subject of mine, which is podcasting. Mm -hmm. But uh, you cover a, a whole wide range of issues in entertainment uh, and new media as well. Yeah. You want to explain some of that to to our listeners? Well. You know, I started my career and uh, about 30 years ago. It was, it was, you know, film and TV. There was music stuff as well, but I, I've shifted out of music. Uh, the, the music industry is a, a different kind of sleazy business, <laughs> I guess you could say. So I, I focused my, my early career on uh, television and film, but I always had that passion for theater. I always kept finding my way back to theater. And, and so I, I have represented playwrights and composers and producers in the theater space. Um, and then, you know, as we were starting to see the convergence of, of traditional media with the digital stuff and computers, podcasting, YouTube, those kinds of things naturally became a, something I was paying attention to. And being a techie geek and liking to play with my toys and, and uh, that kind of thing, I, I just sort of naturally fell into it. Um, and I started marketing my law practice using a blog, but then I realized, well, this podcast thing is really cool. And uh, so, and you I, have the voice of a god. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> anyway, I was invited to be a guest on some some podcasts for a while, and then I was a recurring guest on this one where I would just answer legal questions uh, for filmmakers. And that sort of, when the host of that show decided to go in a different direction with his content, I said, "Well, I'm hooked now. I got to do this." And so I started my own show. That was in 2009. So for the last uh, wow. 12 and a half years, my co-host Tamara Bennett and I, she's a, a music lawyer in Texas. We got together and once a month we do this roundup of legal news for, for folks in the entertainment industry. I love it. I love it because it is constantly changing as well. Yeah. Um, well, and I, I come from a background of, of radio. First I was doing print, um, print yeah. and online. Remember that little play, that little thing called America online. Oh yes. Yes. You've got mail. You've got mail. And then whenever you had to go on to AOL, you'd hear that, you know, that, yep. that thing, ding, ding. Um, I was lucky enough to be, uh, I, I fell into it. I really did. I, an entertainment writer for AOL. I was uh, in California working on New York time. So it'd be kind of crazy for me in the mornings. But I did a, um, a, a column called The Daily Fix. And I did it through a cartoon character because it wasn't Christine. 
mm. doing these movie reviews and interviews with celebrities. It was this cartoon character. And so the cartoon character was doing all of these interviews and um, very saucy, kind of a head of hopper, martini, oh. totem, and, you know, a, a rebel, so to speak. She would get invited to these things in Hollywood and she would just dish the dirt. And so, um, and that was really fun because that was like an alter ego. So not me, right? Yeah. <laughs> she had a waist like this um, <laughs> and hips like this. And so... Um, so I got, I was lucky enough to have that, uh, that opportunity. And back in those days, AOL was it. I mean, that was the, the hot, the hot ticket. Yeah. And then, um, and then actually when 9-11 happened, my whole career and life changed. I said, hmm. who cares who Britney Spears is dating? Who cares who Angelina Jolie is seeing? Who cares what they're wearing? Really? What's going on in the Middle East? What's happening? Why, you know, I, I didn't know anything. And I think as a, as a lot of Americans and people around the world, that day really shook them up and, and changed them. And, um, and I was in Los Angeles one time just driving and I was channel surfing as you do in in traffic because there's nothing back when people <laughs> listen to broadcast radio instead of podcasts in the car. remember back in the day this was <laughs> about uh, almost 20 years ago 19 yeah. years ago and i found a really amazing radio station that was not commercial not no corporate sponsorship it was all community sponsored so yeah. it had that uh authenticity it had that realness i'm gonna and guess that was kpfk yeah, yeah, that was KPFK. That was almost nice. 20 years ago. And then I fell, I was a producer and a writer, but I fell in love with, with sound and mm -hmm. with, with the voice and what you can do, the emotions that you can bring out. It's such an intimate art. And that's with radio, right? Mm -hmm. And I didn't even know about podcasting. I didn't have any idea. Didn't even have the concept of doing a show on YouTube. I was just in the studio. I was kind of stuck in the studio with the light, with that on-air light. Yeah, yeah. And and then and then since then, having the opportunity to bring amazing interviews with people like yourself, I like to have master teachers come on and get them on the podcast show. But now, it's not only the audio podcast on platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts, Amazon mm -hmm. is getting into the act, of course. But now with YouTube, that's the way to reach people. Yes. And it is, this industry is exploding. And your timing is absolutely perfect, Gordon, because so many people, I, I'm talking to so many people um, are wanting to create a podcast or they're just starting out. And the reason why I wanted to have you on, long story short, I'm going on and on, really wanted to have you on so that you can at least let people know that there's some things that they want to make sure, some boxes they need to tick um, when considering having a podcast show mm -hmm. and having guests on and all of that. So let's dive into that, shall we? Let's dive into yeah. podcast land. First of all, there is such a huge need for you because I just saw a report the other day that there's like over 2 million podcasts right now. Uh, last I saw, it was approaching the two million dollar, the two million number. Sunday Times, um, the New York, New York, uh, New York Times Sunday edition. Oh. It came out that uh, yeah, two million. 
Oh, that's fascinating. Uh, you know, I mean, that number is sort of skewed by the, the number of people who start and do an episode or two and then never never show up again because they realize, oh, this is actually hard work. There's a lot of work <laughs> involved. Yes. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a big number. It's growing. And, and um, you know, if you think there's two million shows, the number of episodes out there, that is, uh, you know, the potential to hurt people's feelings, reputations, to infringe on copyrights. Trademarks, all those kinds of things, and that's the stuff that I am am really focused on on helping creative people to create and yet do so safely and respectfully in ways that will keep them out of court and uh, and happy. You know, the the technology has happened such that it's never been a more level playing field. I mean, you and I we're both sitting, and I presume you're in your home. Um, or yes. similar. And, and I'm sitting in my home office where, you know, I've got a computer and a microphone and yeah, I know how to connect it all up, but basically it's pretty easy to make media. I can do a YouTube video. I can do a podcast yes. recording. I can, you know, I can publish, uh, an ebook if I want to, all those kinds of, so it's very easy to make content, but with that simplicity, that ease, so many people are doing it who have no background. You and I have backgrounds in media production. So we've learned the ropes and the, and the rules and, and how to make sure we're getting it right as journalists or whatever. But there's so many people who don't have any of that information. And so I've sort of been making it my purpose, my mission, my, my crusade to help people understand so that they don't hurt each other and, and wind up in hot water. So, uh, you know, I've got an well, ebook. <laughs> and you're yeah. right with with um with this great freedom and great creativity ability to to be super creative comes a responsibility as well and so spider-man in there somewhere yes <laughs> <laughs> well i'm a little darth vader as well, well there you go <laughs> but with but, but great there, power it, comes great responsibility absolutely it, it, of course and so and that also means i mean as a even as a radio host when i would be um i'd be so aware of what i was mm -hmm. saying not to the point where I where I sounded scripted because I never I'm I never was scripted, uh, but also aware of what my guest was saying, yeah. because what my guest says, I'm also responsible for. <laughs> You're the publisher. If you don't catch it and call them out on something that might be false you know, that hurts somebody's reputation. Yeah. You're, you're as, as almost as responsible as they are for them. For and them. to, to give you an idea of how the, I think I should have more gray hairs than I have. I actually produced Roseanne Barr for um, about six months, a radio show. Wow. <laughs> and if you think that I, I, I wasn't nervous every single time the mic opened up, I love her. Cause she's actually extremely, extremely intelligent and creative. But with Roseanne, you never know. There's no filter. There's no filter. And so I would just be sweating, just like, yeah. oh, please don't say anything that's going to get us in trouble. But that's what makes her so engaging. But it's also what makes it risky. And so, yeah, you as the producer of the show had an obligation to... Well, and it, exercise and in, a level of care with FCC regulations in in the in in the states as well. There, our poor engineer was on the button, you know, just yeah. <laughs> the dump button, just in case something came out. Yeah. Um, 
same thing with uh, Ed Asner. I did an interview with him. The very first thing out of his mouth was a profanity on air. And I just said, because I said, Ed, Ed, how are you doing it? He's, he's getting up there in age and he's like, yeah. you know, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you do that? He goes, what? <laughs> um, but let's, let's go into some of those things that, that begin, especially beginning uh, podcasters, uh, people who are just starting out may not be aware of um i know one of your one of your the most amazing things that you actually provide as a service for people is your guest release form and i am grateful for that because i use it as well (laughs) and it's a it's a fantastic form but this is really important if people are going to have guests on their show uh, tell the tell the the listeners and the viewers why it's important to have that guest release form. Well, thank you. This is actually sort of the 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 front end of my crusade. This is the the tip of the spear as you to get things legal. Every single guest who comes on anybody's podcast or show should sign a release form. Now, you know, in in broadcast radio, that really isn't a thing. People don't generally do that. And this is one of the major differences between terrestrial radio, good old fashioned, you know, over the air and podcasts is that when it's an over the air radio show, it's happening in real time. And then it's sort of gone. I mean, the the word is ephemeral. Now, yeah, there are air check tapes and there are recordings of what's gone on and so on, mainly so that the station has evidence if they're ever accused of something, those kinds of things. But podcasts are, are evergreen. You know, we make an episode today, five years from now, assuming everything is going smoothly, those episodes will still be available for someone to download and listen to. And so the harm that I could do um, can persist for a good long time. The other thing is that a guest could decide, hey, I changed my mind. I don't want that episode up there anymore or, you know, whatever. And Or they could claim that they're a co-owner of the episode. So there's a whole raft of of possible problems that you know let's be honest they don't happen very often but i've seen them happen uh where somebody says hey take that episode down and if you're trying to do journalism if there's a linearity to what you're doing pulling that episode out of your feed might compromise your integrity as a journalist uh i've seen that happen enough times to to know it's a truth so having a signed document that says I consent to you recording me and I consent to you publishing the recording. I don't have any right to approve or, or give you editorial notes, or maybe you do, you can put that in your agreement too. Um, and you'll own what we create together as the sole owner of the copyright, you know, go forth with my blessing and it's irrevocable. You've just taken care of, you know, 90% of the problems that a guest could ever create for for a podcaster and it's a simple thing of having them sign this you know one page thing or or click yes on a form online well and and i like i and and i've seen a lot of of release forms and sometimes they you know it's like uh it's like the side of a you know pharmaceutical drug insert you know it's so long and it's like and most people they get overwhelmed by it and actually you've you've made it so that it's it's short and sweet and covers um, it covers a podcaster uh, tremendously in many, many ways. And yeah, it's a little walking a tightrope because people don't want to <laughs> sign a big, heavy legal document, but the document has to do its job as well. Exactly. So it has to cover everything. something that people will to, actually. Yeah. yeah. It does have to cover everything. And, and um, what I've had with the, uh, the, the clients, that I, the, my, my students that I coach in podcasting, mm-hmm. 
they've come to me and they've said, okay, yes, I think that's a great idea. Cause also they want to repurpose their, their podcast. They want to repurpose it for possible for a blog or a, a chapter in a book or part of a course or something like that. But yeah. what they have come to me and said is my guest doesn't want to sign this. Mm -hmm. Okay. And how do I make it more appealing for them to sign? And my, I mean, always my retort is number one, you're, you're promoting that, you know, you're promoting them and their product, their service, their book. If they're a coach, if they're a superstar, you're promoting them. So reiterate that. But also I use with your form, the guest release form that Gordon has created, I have it in a, um, in a format where I need to have someone's photo, um, you know, the publicity or their headshot uploaded. I ask them questions in addition, like, what's your superpower? Um, what points or what things would you really like in this interview for me to promote? What websites would you like? So in other words, it's not just, hey, sign this legal document, sign away all your rights. And, and you're showing them what the benefit for them is exactly. along with asking them to agree to these terms. And yeah, I mean, it, when you put a piece of paper in front of somebody with legalese on it and ask them to sign right on the spot, that's a confrontational kind of an approach, but it's, Hey, you want to be on my show? Let's schedule the date. Here's what I need from you. You know, scroll through this, read this. If it's all okay, check the box, you know, and that is a binding contractual agreement. So, and it's, and it just makes it a little bit easier. Like I said, when I, when you have some other things in there and not just yeah. sign this, um, and also just making sure that they know that everybody, everybody that, that comes on the show yeah. goes through that process. They're not, it's not, you're, you know, you're not spotlighting them in particular. Yeah. It's a little bit of finesse that's involved, but also, you know, and I, I just had occasion to tell someone this today is look, it's the person who doesn't want to sign it, who is the one who's going to be a problem later on, <laughs> you know, that's just a personality type thing. And, and you're probably better off if they won't sign it, better off not interviewing them. I don't care if it's your father or your amen, uncle. Amen, brother. <laughs> amen. Amen, amen. And and it's if you view it as their law, I mean, look, we, you know, yes, you want the guest, but they want the exposure that you're offering them. And so it, it's a quid pro quo and they need to understand there's a trade-off. So um, it, it's a sign that you're being professional in your attitude about things. And uh, um, that should give them confidence that you know what you're doing and you're, and you're serious about your business. Exactly. Um, an, another another aspect, and we're going to. Um, is it okay uh, in the show notes to put a link to? Oh, the, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Tell tell everybody. Tell people about about the guest release form that you've created, and it's a it's a resource for people for podcasters. I highly recommend that you it, get it. Is it is absolutely free. You can go to podcastrelease.com. And as I was mentioning, there's a quid pro quo. You're trading something. When you get this from me, you're trading your email address. You're giving me it's your email address. It. <laughs> so, so I can send you messages and tell you about other legal resources that I have that aren't free. <laughs> but, exactly. you know, you don't have to read them. You don't have to listen. You can, uh, you can unsubscribe. But get the release and use it. it, it it's a simple, easy way to protect yourself and, and, uh, and cover your podcasting butt. Well, and I, I like getting your little emails because Thanks. also you're updating and you're letting us know uh, 
as well the things that you cover on the on the show on your podcast show right and these are subjects that can range i mean it's such a wide ranging um, amount of subjects that you cover but they're all things that people especially be- especially beginner uh podcasters it's really important and there's some and veteran po- you know there's some people that have been doing this for a very long time and they're not aware of yeah. what they need and and really to cover themselves so yeah. i will um i will definitely make sure that we have that link in the show notes again the website that people want to go to is podcastrelease.com you're so good nice and simple i like it i like that you keep it simple and again it's the release that uh out of the box with christine uses and so it has to be good so okay Um, i signed it huh and and gordon exactly even gordon the entertainment attorney the podcast attorney extraordinaire signed my guest release and it's because he recognized it um uh let's talk about some other legal aspects that podcasters need to be aware of. And I'm not certain if this is absolutely necessary or if you recommend it. Um, I know we're not seeking legal advice per se or giving it on air, but trademark, trademarking. um, It's a, I've heard good things and, and like, it's such, it's, it can be a daunting process for people. Should you trademark your podcast, the name of your podcast show? Well, in, in true lawyerly fashion, I'm going to give the answer. Maybe (laughs) (laughs) you're, you know, if you have a distinctive catchy title for your show that really sets you apart from the rest of the field of, of shows in your genre or just podcasts generally, it probably does make sense to protect it so that other people don't adopt names that are or titles that are confusingly similar to yours. Now that, you know, that the caveat is it has to be a distinctive name. You know, if you've got a, a, a show title, that's a very descriptive term it may not be entitled to trademark protection. We don't want to take words out of the lexicon. Right. Um, you know, let's make the dictionary smaller by taking words out, right? So, um, and there are ways that you can adopt a name like that and then acquire the distinctiveness over time. I mean, what you see on my screen here, the podcast lawyer is a very descriptive term that I am working to build as a brand for myself uh, over time, because I want everybody to identify, oh, talking about the podcast lawyer, you're talking about Gordon Firemark. Yes. That's acquiring that distinctiveness, that secondary meaning. But if you've got a great title that, you know, catches everybody's attention right off, definitely want to register it, definitely want to protect that brand, uh, it, because it is a brand. And even if you aren't intending to make money from your podcasting enterprise, um, protecting that brand it it becomes an asset of your of your business and that's another thing we should talk about is just you know are you in business and should you form a business entity of some sort oh we're getting there don't worry okay yeah so so trademark is it's an if it is expensive it's not a super simple cheap thing to do and it's a little tricky it's not a well some people do it yourself um and i i have training and things available to show people how to do it yourself but uh it often means hiring a lawyer so it's not for the faint of heart. Yes, because there's a there's, it's, it's it's extensive uh, yeah. the the work that's involved in trademarking in pat, trademark or patenting anything, yeah. um, but especially yeah. So 
for the possibly for the beginner or the hobbyist, mm-hmm. right? Because there's a lot of hobby podcasters, hobbyist podcasters. Yeah. Um, it may not be um, something that they need to do. Now, if if you are building a large brand and the name of the podcast is part of that brand, part of the like, if you have a community, hundreds of thousands of people in your Facebook group, and the name, I'm the brand. If it's something that can expand to merchandise mm-hmm. and print media, then yeah. then definitely it's worth. I would say because you don't want like three years down the road mm-hmm. to see someone else that's taken that name and they're getting all of, all of the people uh, that you should be getting, you know, all of the attention. Yeah. The litmus test really is if somebody else came along and adopted the same name or something that's very close, maybe it's spelled differently, but sounds the same or whatever. Or if, if somebody came along and did that, would it hurt? If the answer is yes, then get a trademark, protect it so that you don't have to feel that pain. Well, when like the name of the name of this show is, is, it's out of the box. Mm-hmm. I had, I put with Christine because do you know how many out of the box podcast shows there are yeah. out of the box, out of the box, out of the box, out of the box. There's like hundreds. Uh, of so them. that's an example of one that probably isn't worth trying to protect, you know, cause there's exactly. all those others out there. You're never going to be able to, to knock them all off the pedestals. And, and some of them may have been in business, before, you know, out there longer than you. And yes. Uh, you know, so it, it, that's that's when we're building the brand around your name counts for a lot too. Now let's talk about uh, because a, let's talk about the elephant in the room. <laughs> a lot of people, right? A lot of people are jumping into podcasting, <laughs> thinking that they're going to make a lot of money. <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to dissuade anyone from getting into podcasting. Okay, at all. Um, mm-hmm. But they, because they see the popularity and the success yeah. of podcasting, they're thinking that also they're going to be able to, um, to make a lot of money. Now, I know there are ways to use your podcast as a business tool, right. but let's talk about the business angle of okay. podcasting, if you don't mind. No, sure. Well, you know, look, if, if making money is part of the goal for your podcasting enterprise, maybe the podcast is the business Maybe it's a marketing initiative of a business. What's important is, I mean, I I do think it's important to think of it in business terms. Even if you don't intend to make money directly from your podcast, it's there to do something for you, promote you as a brand, um, give you a a, a voice and an opportunity to connect with more people and maybe sell them something else later on, who knows what. So you've got to think about it in, in business terms. And if you are going to be monetizing in any way, having a company for the podcast is, is often a good idea. Again, if it's, if it's an initiative of another business, you know, if it's a marketing arm of your, of your company, then you don't need a separate company for the, for the podcast, but it's not a bad idea to keep your podcast separately from your personal stuff. Because if somebody does have a problem with what you're doing on the podcast, you don't want them to end up owning your house if they sue you. Right. And vice versa, if something happens in your private life, personal life, you don't want them to end up owning your business. Correct. So keeping things separate is often a good idea. That said, again, there, there's expense associated with it. There is a bit of a hassle factor. And if you're just in it as a hobby or hobbyist and dabbling and you know, just doing it to have a good time, then you don't bother with, with this necessarily. Maybe you look at getting some insurance or something like that. Um, 
but you know, again, if you're going to treat your podcasting professionally, that is in, with a professional attitude, then forming a business for the, for the, forming a company for the podcast business makes some sense. And again, you're going to want to talk to a tax advisor and a legal advisor just to make sure, but. And there's different forms of uh, there's uh, S corp. Uh, well, corporations and LLC. limited liability companies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the, and both of those, the, what an S corp is, is a, a designation of how you want the company to be taxed. That is, it passes through its income and and uh, losses to its owners directly. Whereas in a traditional corporation, the company pays taxes on its income first and then distributes what's left to the uh, owners. That's again, that's why you have a conversation with your tax advisors about these things. But another advantage of having a company is that you may be able to see some tax deductions that an individual wouldn't for perhaps buying some sound equipment, a microphone, a mixer, um, paying for your internet connection, um, the hosting services and things like that. Whereas if you're an individual, the government's going to look at it as a hobby and they're going to say, well, that's not a business expense. Right. You've got the business to support it. Then it is. So I think, again, not for everybody, but uh, for the folks who are thinking about it seriously as a profession or as a, an opportunity to make a little side hustle money, whatever, it's not a bad idea. Well, and I, I I like the, um, I like the, the different ways uh, that people can generate income with Mm -hmm. their podcast. And that said though, Yes, they either they they really either should be a business that is yeah. able to use podcasting as marketing. You know, you can use your podcast as marketing um, prom- promotion or publicity yeah. it, as a tool. I, I do that myself. Mm-hmm. But from a listener standpoint and a, and a radio head as myself and also Gordon can tell you, do not make it an infomercial about you because people will smell it they'll hear it they'll feel it and they'll they'll run away (laughs) because nobody really wants to listen to uh any type of show where it's just constantly you know let me tell you let me sell you this let me sell you that right yeah no i mean look if you're listening to any traditional media production that is sponsored that has advertisers the ads are, you know, 30 seconds here, 30 seconds there. And the rest of the time, it's just content. The, you know, let's face it. If you're using the advertising model, the content that you're creating is bait to attract audience so that you can give them those messages. So the bait has to be pretty compelling. If it's just ads all the time, they're not going to, they're not going to listen. I mean, you know, people will browse through a catalog once in a while to, to see all the stuff they can buy. But most of the time you got to, give them valuable content so that they'll stick around and listen to that ad. That's what you're selling is that ad inventory to your advertiser. There's, there's that, the ad inventory for those shows too. Also the shows that are, that, that have quite a few listeners or, or downloads Mm -hmm. for those people that are starting out and they don't have those mass, those numbers. um, One thing you can do is like, is, is, is similar to what Gordon does, right? Gordon has a podcast show that is also reiterating to the audience, hey, I'm an attorney mm-hmm. and I'm going to give you some some tips and some ideas and concepts and things that you need to consider. Um, here's updates on the laws and all of that stuff. And at the same time, you, you Gordon, are you're getting to um, you're getting to introduce yourself to people 
potential mm-hmm. clients, potential future clients. And I'll say this too about especially podcasting and the video component of podcasting or mm-hmm. vodcasting YouTube. People, when they can see you and feel you and look into your eyes, the trust factor goes up 10 times. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's, that's just how we are as human beings. Well, and, and that, that's true of audio podcasting as well as the, the ability just for people to hear the smile in your voice. If you smile in your voice, you know, uh, gives them a sense of comfort. I mean, it depends. It helps to have a good voice, but you know, a sense of comfort, a sense of familiarity and no, the no like, and trust factor. If you're a service provider or actually a, a maker of a product, having people know of your product and like you and it and, and trust you is the key to getting them to purchase what you're offering. Uh, and so, if they, you know, the other term for this is positioning, right? You, you, in marketing terms, you want to build these components of things to get your audience, your customer base interested, aware, and ultimately wanting to buy your products. So, um, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think I have a face made for radio, so audio is my <laughs> choice. Uh, but you know, video. No, but I love the I love the video component of it because so for so long there's been people that I've listened to in radio and in podcasting, and um, of course, yeah. yes, it leaves a lot to the imagination because you're imagining, you know, like mm-hmm. mm, okay, whatever. But I also I do I love to see the expression and yeah. um and and that's a, a new window that's opened up with YouTube as well. Do you want to talk about anything legal wise with YouTube because well that's a whole that's Yeah, a whole I mean other... most of what I'm saying about about podcasting and law applies just as well to YouTube. I mean look, creating content is creating content. It's it's digital video is evergreen like podcast content is. I think the main difference between video and audio is the way it's consumed. Uh, you can listen to an audio podcast in the car or while you're out doing, you know, at the gym or whatever else. Um, with video, it's a little bit of a lean forward experience. You're sitting at a desk or, or, or holding an iPad or something and you're watching that video. Um, it, it requires a different level of attention, which can be great if you're trying to convey some information or attract audience to see ads. Uh, but it's also, you know, just you, you're commanding a different kind of attention in different ways. I mean, I think it's a little harder to get people to sit through long form video than just hour long <laughs> that podcast, right? So, um, but yeah, the, the general principles are the same. The one, the one thing that we haven't talked about from a legal standpoint is uh, respecting other people's stuff, mm. content. Yes. Copyright is, after all, it's at the root of everything we do as content creators. So do you mind if we go there now? Let's go there. All right. So let me give a very quick primer on how copyright law works. And and it doesn't matter what country you're in. Most of the countries in the world have signed on to the International Copyright Law Treaty, uh, which, you know, covers the general protection of things. When an author, a person creates something original and writes it down, records it, films it, paints it on canvas, carves it into a piece of stone, whatever, they're creating a work of authorship. And they, as the author, are the owner of the copyright in that. And that copyright basically says only that author 
has the right to make copies and make derivative things based on the original to distribute those copies and derivatives or to perform or display the work in public. So when you are making a podcast and you use something created by someone other than you, you are using copyrighted material or, or protected material under the copyright law. Uh, the most common area where this comes up, of course, is music, right? You want to use that right. song as the uh, as the intro to your show or in the background while you're talking about a particular subject. Or maybe you want to actually talk about that song as a critique or something like that. Well, guess what? Can't do that without the permission of the person who owns that copyright in the song. It gets trickier with music because not only do you have the songwriter who wrote the song. You have the record label. You have the artist that, that recorded it and they were working for a record label. So the record company owns the, the recording copyright and usually the songwriter or the music publishing company owns the, the composition copyright. So it's two different copyrights and you got to, you know, get two different licenses. So it gets very tricky very fast. So that's why you don't hear a lot of um, pop music in podcasts because it, it's tricky and they have, you have to pay for the permission. So uh, those licenses are, are hard to come by. But uh, it comes up in other contexts, even just a sound effect. Somebody creates a good sound effect. They may own a copy. They probably own a copyright in that. For YouTube uh, on video, you know, we see a lot of videos where they're um, incorporating other people's visual elements into things. It could even just a painting on the back wall uh, when you're filming could bring on those kinds of risks. There are lots of exceptions and lots of variations when it's newsworthy or, or when you're only using a little bit for critique and commentary purposes and things like that. But no rules of thumb. You really do have to think about it every time you incorporate other people's stuff into your, your shows. That's really, really important. That's, that's so important that you talk about that because again, I, I think it's kind of a little bit like the wild, wild west right yes. now with podcasters. So in this flurry and excitement to, to have a podcast show uh, and to start, you know, to start recording and publishing mm -hmm. um, people are not really thinking about all those different elements. And it's true. It's, it, you know, if, if I, I know for myself, if I'm, if I have a guest on and I want to play a piece of material from them, either music or a video or something like that, a, a clip from a, a film, I always, always ask, and I get it in writing. I, I, I make sure, even if it's an email, are you, is it okay to use this? And they're all, most of the time they're like, oh my gosh, yes, you're promoting me. You, you, yeah. Um, the trick is, but you have to get, you do have to at least make sure that you reach out to them. And I probably should get some type of form for that. Well, the trick is getting it from the right person, because often if you have a recording artist come on your show and they say, yeah, sure, go ahead. And, you know, let's say you, you go ahead and use my that song that I recorded. Well, they're not the record company and they may not have been the songwriter who created the song, much less the publisher to whom the songwriter granted the copyright. So, you know, it's great. I mean, and, and usually when they're promoting their tour or their album or something like that, it's good for everybody and you don't hear a lot of complaining about it, but it can happen. And especially with YouTube, with video, the algorithm will get you taken down, even though you do have their permission. Correct. And then how do you tell YouTube I've got permission? Exactly. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's you true. And these strikes happening. And even if you do turn around and say, well, I actually had the artist on and he gave her permission, da, 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 da. You know, it, it accumulates and, and uh, yeah, so uh, it, it, 
you, music in particular is very challenging to to use in. And people don't, and, and some people, they confuse radio with podcasting. They're like, well, radio stations get to play. Well, radio stations pay um, a service yeah. uh, and they have to keep track of the music that's played. Right. So a lot um, of people don't know how, how things go on. It's also not archived. Station. You're not, yeah, right. you're, if you're a, if you're a DJ, if you're someone that's at a station, you have to take meticulous notes about what's being played, when it's yeah. being played. And you're not allowed to have that on some type of, of website or server where people right. can download. Yeah, that's right. So in, in podcast, look, different medium, different rules, bottom line. In, in broadcast radio, you've got an ephemeral signal going out over the waves. It's a performance of the work one time and then you move on. And if you've paid for those, the, the licenses that they, they get from the, what we call the performing rights organizations mm -hmm. in the U.S., that's ASCAP and BMI and CSAC and GMR and other countries, different names and initials, but it's the same principle. These are companies that collect those royalties for those public performances. But when you're using music in a podcast, it's A, it's not ephemeral. So there's a, that stream happens once and then that's a performance. But you've got the composition and the recording in, in, uh, in Amer under American copyright law. There isn't a public performance right for sound recordings in broadcast, but in digital there is. So digital stream is another royalty bearing transmission. But then it's also a downloadable um, Correct. file and that's a copy so you've invoked two or three of the of the rights that the author owns um, for each of the two kinds of of works so again, I, I say it's four-stop shopping whereas in broadcast radio it's one stop pay ASCAP and you're good to go and yeah you have to keep those logs and things it's a different medium but also too then you're all uh, when you're talking about a podcast and if it's on YouTube, if you have a video companion yep. to the, the podcast that's on YouTube, mm -hmm. you're talking about not just like, let's say with a radio station broadcasting, let's say out of California yeah. in America, that mm -hmm. your show is being heard and downloaded yeah. in, you know, Yugoslavia, Ireland, you know, all over the, all over the world. And so the potential for that is, it can be quite devastating. Right. So when it comes to music, just don't do it unless you unless you're sitting there yourself on a keyboard. Or you're really talented. Don't do I just it. I had a call earlier today where a fellow who had 30 years in radio as a broadcaster and has decided that he wants to create a once every two weeks he's going to do a two hour show where he features music from a particular genre from a particular era that you don't hear much anymore. Uh, sort of, you know, resurfacing some music. And he was asking me, well, who do I get to handle the licensing? And I said, you hire somebody full-time at a decent salary and maybe you get those licenses, but they're going to be on the phone calling all these publishers and labels all the time. There just isn't a blanket way to do it. And so uh, I'm afraid I sort of talked him out of his great idea. Ah. <laughs> well, and, the pe and then people say, well, there's the, oh, the, a workaround, right? So the is there something, and I know I already know the answer to this, but I'm asking it anyway. Is there something where if a piece of music is so many years old, it's available or it's okay to use? In other words, if it's something that's forty or fifty years yeah. old, the year the number is ninety five years. Ninety five years. Yeah. Okay. So copyright law lasts for well, there's two two schemes. In again, I'm going U.S. law. Copyright protection prior to 1978 
was under the law from 1909. Now that's before radio and before, um, uh, uh, well, records were around, but anyway. So the 1909 Copyright Act gave 28 years of copyright protection, renewable for another 28 years. And then when we Congress started working on the new Copyright Act, they added an extension for another 19 years, take it out to a total of 75 years. Then right, right before the turn of the 2000 century, uh, they added another 20 years to take it out to a total of 95 years of protection. Works that were created after that new law went into effect, July, uh, January of uh, 1978, last for the life of the author plus 70 years. So Woo! it's a good long time. Um, unless you die the day after you create the work, it's, you know, it's a good long time. So things that are in the public domain today are those things created prior to 1926, 95 years ago. So that's, that's the answer to that question. Just because it's old, that doesn't mean it's necessarily old enough. You know what I'm saying? Um, but there are other, other aspects to this. Sound recordings weren't covered under, under federal statutory copyright law until 1972. So pre-1972 sound recordings may or may not be in the public domain. There are a bunch of lawsuits that have been brewing now for the last few years uh, dealing with pop acts from the 50s and 60s claiming, well, there's a state, state level protection. So it gets messy, messy really fast and, and just, yeah. <laughs> so what work. do you recommend, uh, Gordon, for someone who is, um, who's creating a podcast and they don't want to come in dry and just go, hey, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, they do need some kind of, you some need kind bumpers of music. And, yeah, tops and bottoms and bumpers and those kinds of things. Yeah, what do you, what do you, uh, what do you recommend? I, I would say there are a number of good music libraries out there where you can buy licenses for the, you know, on a one payment kind of a thing. Buy it, use it, and you're good to go forever. No royalties. Um, there are some services that are subscription where you pay them a monthly fee and then you have access to all the music that's in their catalog as long as you keep your, your subscription going. And even after you end your subscription, the, old, the stuff that's incorporated into episodes remains grandfathered in and protected. Um, I think those are great solutions, but they don't have all the music you're going to want. You're not going to get the big pop top 40 hits. Uh, no, because it's owned by somebody. It's owned by Britney Spears. Well, <laughs> well, Britney Spears Sony, doesn't even own it. Oh. Right, right. Sony Music and Warner Music and Universal Music. You know, those are the companies that own these things. So, uh, the, that library music and those subscription service music is a great solution. If you want to, if you're looking for an opening and a close for your show, maybe maybe find an artist and hire them to create something for you, and get a contract that says you own it and you're free to do it. Um, I like, I use, um, and I've actually been very happy with it is a Shutterstock. Yeah. And, yeah. and Shutterstock has super high quality, uh, mm -hmm. music Yeah, and it's easy to search. So if you want like something country sounding, you want jazzy, you want ambient, you want scary. Yeah. Um, their library is actually very easy to, uh, to choose. And it's super affordable, yeah. like for, for the beginner podcaster, I, I believe it's super affordable. And I'll say to people, cause a lot of podcasters are like, they're trying to save money. Right. So they, they want a free hosting platform. Mm -hmm. They want free music. And I'm like, just spend a little bit of money. Yeah. Just spend There's a no little such thing bit as of a free money. lunch, right? No, but just spend a little bit of money, especially mm -hmm. on things when it, when it involves yeah. um, sound. 
as well. And, and, um, and carrying your show, a lot of people think they don't realize that if you have something that's free hosting your show, all those stats, all those, all that information is not necessarily going to be yours either. I've, I've dealt with this. I won't name the name, the name that will not come from my lips. Um, but I've had a, quite a few clients, uh, mm -hmm. podcast coaching clients, and they're like, I can't get my shows. I don't know what my stats are. And I said, you either have to see if you can transfer them. Uh, if there's a way to transfer them to a new podcast hosting platform that you pay mm -hmm. <laughs> or start all over. Yep. Well, they're either uh, heads in the clouds or chained to the bottom of the sea, right? So Yeah, yeah. But yes, it's it's worth it. It really is. It's absolutely worth yeah. it to, to Definitely. I mean, yeah, a, a small investment on the front end of things is, is worthwhile for the the security and knowledge that you create what you own, what you're creating, you will own and you can protect it. And that's the other side of copyright, real quick, Christine, is is when you create your podcast episode, you own the copyright in that episode until and unless you give it to somebody else, granting a right to somebody else. And when you make these deals with these hosting companies, got to be careful about what rights you're granting and what you're retaining for yourself. Read the fine print. Indeed. Read the fine print. It's really, really important. I, yeah, like I said, when, when somebody comes to me and says, but it's free, I said, no, it's not. <laughs> They're getting, they're getting money out of you somehow. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, absolutely. Gordon, we have just, we have a couple minutes left and I just wanted to know if there was anything else that you wanted to cover and make sure that you, um, you got out to our listeners and our viewers. Well, I, you know, I just want to invite anybody who is getting into the podcasting game and is sort of, well, not sort of, if you're serious about it, if you want to have a professional approach to things, again, whether it's about making money or just being professional in the way you approach it. I'd like to invite you to join my uh, private Facebook group called Legit Podcast Pro. And there's more information about that at legitpodcastpro.com. Of course, I want you to use that that release form from podcastrelease.com. And, um, you know, just you know, find out about me. Uh, you can look me up on, on most of the interwebs. My name is Gordon Firemark. That's F-I-R-E-M-A-R-K. And I'm very fortunate to have a name that isn't a very popular one. I'm exactly. only a handful of us out there. Exactly. Or you can also just Google the podcast lawyer and Gordon go. will yeah. pop up all over the place. And also uh, encourage people to listen to uh, your podcast as well. I'll have links. You just let me know and I'll put yep. links in the show notes um, on the audio version and as well on the video version of the show Great. so that people can find you. And yes, folks, Take advantage of the, the free offer of, of getting the, a professional guest release form. It will save you so much time and frustration and possibly money um, in the long run. And it's actually it's actually something that is just it's just good to cover your butt. <laughs> so um, we'll have all of those details in the show notes. And I want to thank you again, Gordon, so much. Um, you're welcome back anytime to talk to our listeners and viewers. And I hope we get to see you again on Out of the Box. Well, I would love that. Thank you, Christine. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you, love. And thank you, wonderful listeners and viewers, for tuning in today. Remember, if you want more information about this podcast show, you can go to outoftheboxwithchristine.com. If you want more information about me, it's christineblasdale.com. All those links will be in the show notes. And 
subscribe to this channel, um, share it with friends. If also something that Gordon was talking about you think is important for someone that you know who's starting a podcast uh, and you want to make sure that they're covered, send them the show. I, I, I think it's going to be, um, it's an amazing opportunity for people to get to know Gordon Firemark, my new friend. Thank you again. And as I always say, remember to think outside of that damn box. Bye for now.